Well, thank you for joining us today for worship here at the well. We're so excited that uh, you are here with us, and uh, we would ask you to please turn in your Bibles with me to the book of James, James chapter 1, and uh, we're going to be continuing on in our series here, Roots. Um, it's time to grow deeper. It's time to grow deeper, um, and, and if, you, uh, if you would... Um, Kind of be thinking with me this morning because I have a question. Uh, I have a question to start us off. Uh, I have a question to start us off. When you woke up this morning, uh, when you woke up this morning, and I hope that you looked in the mirror at some point before you left, uh, but when you woke up this morning and you looked in the mirror, how did you look? Now, please don't, please don't incriminate yourself in any way, uh, but I want you to think, how did you look when you looked in the mirror? And how does that compare to what we see right now? How does that compare to what we see right now? Now, I I was talking to my wife on the way here, and I was like, wouldn't it be fun if we had done this little secret experiment where we took pictures uh, of what people look like when they first got up, and we showed them randomly on the screen uh, throughout the morning, like throughout my message. I'm like, that would be so much fun. Uh, my wife did not think so um, at all. Like, wh- where I-, I wonder if there are some people here today, if they would be totally unrecognizable to us uh, the way that we know them and see them. Now, I realize this morning there may be a few people in here who would say what I saw in the mirror really couldn't be improved upon. Uh, There may be some of you, and I'm not saying who, okay? And if you can't think of who it is, it's probably you. Um, Now, is there anyone in here, I would say say the generation before me, uh, but is there anyone in here who remembers uh, the show Happy Days. Okay, so the majority of the people, like some of you are too young to remember that show. Um, but did, does anyone remember uh, a character on the show and his name was the Fonz? You guys remember? And you remember how every single time he would walk by a mirror, he'd be like, hey, do you guys remember that? It was almost as if, to, it was almost as if the Fonz was saying, like, how could this look get any better? Like, how could that happen? But I think most of us in here, most of us, if not all of us this morning, uh, would conclude that at least a little bit of work needed to happen to prepare us uh, to get here and that there is some level of difference uh, from when we first woke up uh, to the way that we look now. Have you ever, have you ever been out somewhere uh, where you've walked by a mirror or a window and you saw your reflection and you realized that you forgot to address something before you left the house. Anyone ever been in that place before? I'm not asking what it is, but have you ever been in that place? So when I was in college, um, several of, of my buddies and I were walking to breakfast one morning and uh, one of my buddies who um, will remain um, anonymous uh, because he will go back and listen to the sermon because I told him I was going to talk about him. Uh, but one of my buddies um, uh, was with us and we were walking to breakfast and I looked over and he still had shaving cream on his ear from that morning and we were walking down the road and I, I glanced over and I was like, do you realize that you still have shaving cream on your ear? Now we are out in public at this point, 
We're out in public. We're about to walk into a restaurant for breakfast. It was, it was something that I was attempting to get him to know. You should have addressed that before we left. You should have taken care of that thing before we went to breakfast. And as the years went on, um, as the years went on, that story grew from a little dab of, of, um, of shaving cream to like his ear was full of shaving cream to like the whole side of his face was full uh, of shaving. And, and, and it's just uh, this funny story that goes back and forth with my buddies and I, and, and we've probably all been there. Right, And at one time or another, we've been in a place where we walked by a window or a mirror and we, we saw a reflection and we're like, I was in such a rush this morning that I forgot to uh, address and then fill in the blank for yourself. And, and whatever uh, you thought in your head, I, I really hope was not too awfully embarrassing. But the point is pretty obvious this morning. By the reactions of people's faces and the things that they are laughing at, Um, We all believe to one degree or another that we should spend an appropriate amount of time looking at our appearance in the mirror. Would you guys agree with that? And that spending an appropriate amount of time doing so, we see something about ourselves so that we can address and correct it. And while there are extremes on both sides of that discussion, the point here is still a very important one. So why, pastor, are you raising this topic? Why are you making us laugh, uh, reminiscing about things that have occurred uh, in our past? Well, some of you may have already figured it out, but it's because that's the same metaphor that God uses in his word for how we as a people relate to scripture. How we as a people relate to scripture. Now, with that in mind, please open your Bible, if you are not there, to James chapter 1. So our, our church... Uh, most of you have been here for uh, quite, uh, quite a few months or, or longer, and you know that our church is in a season right now where God is beginning to shift our church into a deeper and more rooted relationship with Christ. For those of you who have been here any length, would you agree with that statement? God is, is shifting us into something that is deeper. Now, we've been discussing growing We've been discussing changing for the last several weeks, but there is a sense uh, from this perspective and from others I have talked to here that our church family is taking a plunge into something deeper in the Word of God. There's a sense all around us here in which our church family is spiritually different than where we were 18 months ago. Would you guys agree with that? And, And to the glory of God, amen? Uh, A move of God has started to take place here in our lives as we've been connected to him through his word. And there is no greater blessing, in my opinion, there's no greater blessing than spiritual and eternal blessings in the life of a believer. Amen, church? There's no greater blessing. But the point is, the point is that God has given the well much. Amen? I was waiting for it so I didn't have to say it. God has given the well much. And like any good steward, 
for God's glory, we should want to grow what he has given to us. So we're doing this, this study on the book of James called Roots. And because of all the activity that's been taking place in our church, and all of it has a purpose, and for those of you who have been here any length of time, you know that our God-given mission is to connect people to Christ in everyday moments of life. That's what we're here to do. That's why we do ministry. And so far in this study for our church, we, we've talked about growing in response to trials. Growing in response to trials. We've talked about growing in response to temptation. But this morning, I want to talk about something difficult for every one of us. And that's growing in obedience to the word of God. Growing in obedience to the word of God. Now, uh, this is where... This is where that what you do after you look in the mirror thing comes in. So look with me at verse number 16. James chapter 1 verse 16. It says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brethren, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. If you have your Bibles and you're an underliner, I want you to underline the phrase implanted word. The implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looked intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And this is God's word for us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now, Lord, and, and there's so much in this passage of Scripture that we can glean from. And so, Lord, I'm asking that uh, you would be revealed as we talk through this portion of, of Scripture, this text in which we are going to learn a few things about responding to your word and about growing in obedience to it. And so, Lord, give us open hearts and ears to hear this morning. Uh, please, please, Lord, impress upon us areas that we need to change and grow ways that we need to be chiseled uh, to be more likened to your son. Use this portion of scripture to minister to us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. So I, we are going to be talking about growing in obedience to the word of God. And with the time that we have remaining, I would like for us to consider two correct ways to respond to biblical truth. Two correct ways to respond to biblical truth. The first is going to hit the screen for you right now, and it's to receive the word that God planted in you. Receive the word that God planted in you. You know, this part, this last part of the book is really broken up into two very clear sections, very logically. You have verses 16 to 21, and then you have verses 22 to 27, and that's how we're going to break apart and cover this this morning. But part of, of what we must keep in mind, and please, I need you to bear with me for the next few moments, because I need to begin to unpack something for you here, so that you don't lose uh, or miss what God has for us. Part of what we have to keep in mind this morning 
is, is there are two controlling verbs that we're going to look at that tell us what we need to do and what happens after we do them. And the first is at the very end of, of verse 21, and then everything else spouts off of that. Now, you might be asking, Pastor, why, why are we talking about controlling verbs? Am I sitting in a college English class? No. It, it's important because here at the well, we believe in expository preaching. Expository preaching. So this is what doesn't happen, right? What doesn't happen and what we don't want here at the well is that we decide that we want to talk about a specific topic and then we find a Bible verse that supports that topic. We don't want that to happen here. We don't. We won't stand for that to happen here at our church. And that's a big theological word called eisegesis. I'm not going to spell it for you because I don't have the time and you probably will misspell it anyways. But it's a big theological word called eisegesis. And it means that we read our own ideas into the Bible and make the Bible say what we want it to say. That's eisegesis. It's unbiblical. It's ungodly. And it's the antithesis of what Christ is all about. Meaning that it is anti-Christ for us to think our own ideas into the word of God. Now, that is contrary to everything that we have been taught and everything that we see in Scripture to think our, our own ideas. Now, if you are interested, if you are interested in learning the truth of God's Word, as I believe this church is, and we've been on this journey for the last, last year and a half, we've been on this journey to reworking and rethinking and laying a true biblical foundation here. There's another word, though, that's on the opposite side. So eisegesis is bad. It's reading my own thoughts into the text, making the Bible say what I want it to say. The other that is another theological word called exegesis. Exegesis. It's expository preaching. It means that we believe that the Bible was inspired by God. Amen, church? It means by definition that we believe in the verbal and plenary and inspiration of the Bible. I'm not talking about just the overall thoughts and concepts of the Bible, but we here at the well believe in every single word to the same degree, and it's all inspired by God. Amen? So if that's the case, and we want to give careful attention to things in Scripture like sentence structure, and overall arguments in context before we just pull a single verse out and make it fit whatever situation we want it to. So with that being said, the key word for us in this first portion is found in verse number 21. So if you would go back with me to verse 21. He says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And what does he say next? And what? receive and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Now we're going to talk more about and what that means here when we get there in just a few moments, but this is the point that James is driving home to us. Receive the word that's been implanted in you that will save your soul. Now if Christ is your Lord and if Christ is your Savior, he as an act of his grace and in, in fulfillment of the covenant that he made in the Old Testament has planted his word into your heart. Your job now as a believer is to create a heart that is like good soil ready to receive that word. Right, church? 
Now, where the seed of God's word will be able to grow into your heart and lives in a way that proves to you and to everyone else around you that you are truly a follower of God. Now, I want us to go back and look at how all of this fits in. Why? It brings about the question, why should we receive the word of God that's been implanted in us? Well, I have a couple things that are going to hit the screen for you, for you note takers. The first one We should receive the word that has been planted in us because the power of deception. Because the power of deception. We must consider this morning whether verse 16 is tied to what James already said or what comes after. Or what comes after. Go back with me to verse 16. He says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Do not be deceived, Now, you probably could make the argument that the answer is both. James is telling us, this goes with everything I've already said and with everything I'm about to say to you. And you could certainly, church, would you agree that you could be deceived in times of trial? Would you agree with that? And that's why we're invited in verse number five to ask God for wisdom. And what does he do when we ask for wisdom in the midst of trials? He gives it to it liberally. He gives it to us without chiding us for asking. And we could also be deceived, church, do you agree with this? We could be deceived during times of temptation? Yes. And in fact, that's why James compared our own lusts to the bait that a fisherman would use. It's all about deception. And in this case, self-deception. Self-deception. So, we could say this morning... That verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren, is a summary warning of what James has already disclosed to us. But there's no question or doubt that it's it's not or it is connected to everything else that follows. So how do we know that? What is the point of me telling you all of these things this morning? Well, church, if you would draw your attention to the screens, I'm telling you all of these things because the degree to which you put effort into receiving the word that God has implanted in you is directly connected to the level at which you trust your own heart. It's going to stay up there. If you would just kind of hang hang that on the screen for a few minutes. The degree to which you put effort into receiving the word that has been implanted in you is directly connected to the level at which you trust your own heart. Now what do I mean by that? The more that you believe in the power of deception, the more you believe in self-deception, the greater motivation that you will have to dig into the word of God to be changed. Amen, church? The, the phrases that our culture uses today, the phrases like trust yourself or do what comes naturally are words that will take you and your life and your family right off of a cliff. Right off of a cliff. So we should receive the implanted word because of deception. Because of deception. We should also receive the implanted word because of the fundamental goodness of God. Because of the goodness of God. This is where verse 17 fits into our discussion. Look back with me. It says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. You know, the challenge with a number of these verses is that we quote them or we use them as isolated ideas without paying attention to their context. 
You know, this here, I, I told you a few weeks ago that the book of James is what we would call wisdom literature. It reads a lot like and exactly like uh, the, the pithy statements that we see in the book of Proverbs from Solomon. But in this case, the, the contextual uh, connections are important for us. What helps us, church? What helps us during and in the midst of a trial? The goodness of God. Whoa, that was a great spot for an amen. amen. You guys have never experienced the goodness of God in the midst of your trials? What helps us through our trials? The goodness of God. What helps us in the midst of our temptations? The goodness of God. What helps us? What helps us, church? Cultivate a heart that receives the implanted word. The goodness of God. The goodness of God. Do you know every time, Christian, church, friend, every time we ignore the word of God, we're making a statement that we don't believe that God is good. Did you guys catch that? Every time we ignore the word of God, we're making a statement that God is not good, or we don't believe that God is good. I mean, at, at least there's a sense that we are disinterested in learning more uh, of God's truth. And for those of us who were here uh, for those of us who were here, I believe it was in the fall of last year, we studied through, uh, for several weeks, we studied through the book of Ruth. Do you guys remember that? We studied through the book of Ruth. And we came across this person in the book of Ruth, and her name was Naomi. And I don't know if you remember or not, but we saw in the book of Ruth that Naomi had a problem, and her problem was bitterness. And in the midst of that bitterness, she believed God was sovereign, but she didn't believe God was good. And in fact, because she didn't believe God was good, she told her daughter-in-law to go back to her own family and worship false gods because she didn't believe God was good. But one question that we should ask as individuals, one question that we should ask as families, one question that we should ask as a church is does our commitment to receiving God's word demonstrate to those around us that we understand the real danger of self-deception? Does it display that? And do we truly believe, church, even greater than that, but do we truly believe in the goodness of God? Do we truly believe in the goodness of God? Well, in a way that we are motivated to seek him. In a way that we're motivated to seek him. So we should receive the implanted word because of deception. We should receive the implanted word because of God's goodness. But then James goes on to explain that we should receive the word because it is the nature of our salvation. It is the nature of our salvation. Look with me back at verse number 18. He says, And of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You know, that's a loaded statement. Would you agree with me? That is a loaded statement. So church, let me ask you, based upon that verse and everything that we've learned over the last year and a half, who initiated the salvation process? God. It said in his will, in his will. It was an exercise of God's will. That means God has a plan and a purpose for redeeming each and every one of us. By his will. 
And church, if, if we stop for a moment, isn't it amazing to stop and contemplate that thought for just a moment? Isn't it amazing that in an exercise of God's will, he already had a plan in place for my salvation, for me to be wiped clean? I mean, Jesus himself said in the gospel of John, you did not choose me, but I chose you, he said. And he said, and I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. That your fruit would remain. Do you know God's word is essential to us in our salvation, our salvation process? God's word. There's nobody who comes to salvation unless they have heard the word of God in some capacity. It does not happen. It does not. Jesus himself said it. James repeated it. James, his brother, like we learned, is repeating things that he learned from Jesus. And that's why Paul said in Romans chapter 10 that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what, church? The word of God. The word of God. That's why Peter said before his death that you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but that which is unperishable, and that's through the living and enduring word of God. The word of God is a part of our salvation process. Do you know two verses earlier in Romans chapter 10, Paul said, just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. I mean, we want to continue to receive the word of God because the role that it plays in bringing us to Christ. And after it's done that, when we continue to receive it, in turn, we begin to develop a view of the harvest that is to come. The harvest that is to come. James, at the end of James 1.18, it says, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago that this book was the first book that was written in the New Testament. Before the Gospels, James was written. And James writes these things about 20 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of his brother. And if James had to warn people only 20 years removed from Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, what do you think James would be saying to our church over 2,000 years post Jesus' resurrection? What would he be saying? The exact same stuff right here, receive. There is no question at all about this, that receiving God's word into our hearts and lives makes it far more likely that someone in our circle of influence will choose to do so as well. Do you know how many people I've heard, how many stories I've heard here and in ministry before I came here of people who just received the word of God and began to live a Christian life, befriended people, talked to them about God, and those next people got saved because of it. They received the implanted word and they saw the harvest and they went after it. They did as they were commanded by God to go after the people with hope. They did as Peter said, is to be ready always with an answer of the hope that's inside of you. But I have a question though. What about verse 19? What about verse 20? Where where do these two verses fit? 
Because to be honest with you, I was talking to the prayer team before I came up here this morning. These two verses are often taken out of context. These two verses are often used to to speak with somebody who has an anger problem. Speak to somebody who flies off the handle really quickly. But James tells us that these two verses must be a part of why we should receive the word of God. We should receive the word of God, how? By learning to control our anger. By learning to control our anger. That's going to hit the screen for you here in just a moment. Learning to control our anger. There's no question that what these verses say in and of themselves about anger is important and it's valuable. But the point that James was driving home here, it has to do with the people just like you and I and how we respond to the aspects of Scripture that rub us the wrong way. Anyone ever heard a verse or a portion of Scripture that just kind of rubbed you the wrong way, like you didn't want to hear it again, you didn't want to read it, you didn't want to receive it? And all three of you, great. Church, Let's face it for just a moment. Let's, let's be all for honesty in church. Thank you. If we are truly honest, if we're truly honest here this morning, a lot of God's word probably rubs us the wrong way. Would you agree with that? Which is why James instructed us in verse number 19. Know this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So tell myself, so look, look at this. How is this logically connected to what we've already been discussing? Well, because it's very easy to become angry in the midst of trials, isn't it, church? It's very easy to become angry when God condemns something in his word that we were lusting for in the moment. And and we don't like it when God's word gets in the way of the party that we wanted to throw to celebrate our acts of illicit behavior that are condemned by God. We, We start arguing. We start justifying. We start scheming instead of being quick to hear. Quick to hear what, pastor? Well, the word that's been implanted in you. Gee, you know, I love, I love, uh, I love being a pastor. Um, I was scared to death for years uh, to, to, to follow the Lord's calling for me uh, to preach the gospel in the role of a pastor. And, and a- after several years uh, of, of stiff-arming God and, and going into ministry and, and stepping away from um, from all the money that, that we were making and the way that God was blessing us in all of these financial ways. I, I left uh, my job and, and, and took like a three-quarter uh, pay cut. I was making a quarter of what I was making prior at my previous job to go into ministry. I knew it was going to be hard. My family and I agreed that it was going to be difficult. We were going to have to change the way that we lived. Uh, we wouldn't be able to do the things that we used to do. And over the years, um, over the years that God has allowed for our family to be in ministry in some capacity, um, we're close. At the end of this year, we'll be celebrating 15 years of ministry. 15 years of ministry. And 
I, I love today, I love the fact that God allowed me to become a pastor. I love the fact that God continued to press into me and, and to not leave me alone about it. And, and today, I stand here having a very special privilege to serve you as, as the body here. I get to be your pastor. And to me, that's an honor and a, and a very special privilege. But one of the interesting dynamics that I honestly didn't ever want to see in ministry but one of the interesting dynamics of, of serving uh, in a church at this point in history is the amount of pressure from outside and sometimes even inside the church to abandon biblical truth in some way. It, it's mind-boggling to me. It's mind-boggling. You know, there are those who would like us to stop talking about how God created the world and to take that statement out of our church's statement of faith? That we don't, they want us to stop st stating that God created the world. Uh, there are those who I've heard since I've been here that they want us to not talk about the virgin birth of Jesus Christ or to talk about Christ's miraculous life or even to talk about the exclusivity of the gospel. I've gotten letters and emails from people who have gotten angry and even threatened because I teach on those ideas. But I stand here this morning and I know that the vast majority of our church family wants fidelity to the word of God. Amen? We want fidelity to not just portions of scripture, but we want fidelity to all scripture. Amen, church? And so, I want our church to know, I want anyone online or anyone who will listen later, that as long as I am the pastor here, we at the well will not be ashamed of the gospel. We at the well will not be ashamed of standing on all truth that has been implanted into us, that has been given to us. Church, amen? amen. And so we should receive we should receive the implanted word with humility and a thirst for holiness. With humility and a thirst for holiness. Look back with me to verse number 21. It says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. You know, James is not talking about receiving the word to, to describe the first time a person repents and believes, nor is it the aspect of salvation that he's alluding to. He called these people brethren. They were already Christians when he was talking to them. And so a part of the ongoing Christian growth process is to continue to receive God's word to continue to receive, especially, church, when we're in the midst of a trial, especially when we're in the midst of temptation of some kind. Now, I mentioned earlier, I mentioned earlier that this harkens back to a beautiful covenant that God made in the Old Testament in the book of Jeremiah. And so, so along with the Abrahamic covenant, and along with the Mosaic covenant, and along with the Davidic covenant, he made another covenant, and it was the new covenant covenant, the new covenant. 
Look with this, uh, look with this verse on the screen. Jeremiah 31, 33 says, But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. And what, look what he says. I will put my law within them, and on their hearts I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. There's a lot and lots that we could talk about, and I don't have the time this morning to unpack everything that Jeremiah was saying, but we must remember that an essential aspect of the instructions that were given when we, when we partake in communion is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. He said, in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the what? The new covenant. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And that's why James, when he speaks about the implanted word of God, that's what he means. You know, one of the marvelous benefits of knowing Christ is that he wrote his word and continues to write his word on our hearts as we read it and study it. You know, uh, we, we have to decide this morning though, church, we have to decide for all of the reasons that James has stacked up here in this passage if we are going to receive God's word. We have, we have to decide. We're, we're going to have to decide if we are going to embrace what he has said in his word as our own belief system. We're going to have to decide. So how can we tell though how can we tell if that's truly happening? How can we tell if we are receiving the word of God? How can we tell? Well, are we looking in the mirror and making corrections? Are we looking in the mirror and making corrections based on the truth that we've seen? So the second, the second key verb in this passage is about doing. It's on acting. And so the second thing I want you to write down is to act on the word. Act on the word. You know, the sad truth, the very sad truth, is that many of us can be like Christian Fonzes. Like another, another way that we, we could say this and, and just kind of hear me out um, I had a, a pastor friend of mine, his name was Randy Patton, and he coined this term, he coined the term gaposis, gaposis. It's, it's not a real word, um, don't look it up, you're not going to find it. He coined this term gaposis, and, and as, a, as a pastor, I, I, to be honest with you, um, it brought back some awful memories of my childhood, because the term came um, and originated back, um, how many of you remember when the pastor sat on the stage before he spoke? They had chairs on the stage, you guys remember that? They had chairs on the side and the pastor would sit up there and there'd usually be a deacon up there or whoever was leading music and they would just sit there on the stage. And it originated back, back then, Randy's wife always used to tell him, uh, be careful of the gap between the top of your sock and the bottom of your pants because people can see your bare leg. When he would cross his leg, his pants would pull up. 
And she used to say it to him over and over, be careful of the gap, be careful of the gap, be careful of the gap, because everyone can see your bare leg. And so he used to tell people, beware of gaposis. And they'd be like, what are you talking about, Randy? What are you talking about? And he'd be careful of gaposis. Don't, don't let there be a gap between the bottom and the top. There should always be an overlap, he used to say, when they wouldn't get it. And in all of my years of ministry, I've come to realize that there's often a gap for Christians between what we say we believe and how we're living every single day of our life. There's always a gap. Church, be careful of gaposis. James warned the believer about the gap. He warned the believer about not saying, I believe this and I live over here and they don't even overlap. What did he say? In verse 22, look back with me. He said, be doers of the word and not hearers only, what? Deceiving yourselves. There was a, a, a warning from James, don't be deceived by just being hearers. But he also warned about the possibility or the likelihood of being deceived. But also look at verse 20, 23 and 24. He says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and he goes away at once and forgets what he was like. And so James is also saying there's a, there's a warning here of forgetting, of forgetfulness. Watch out. Watch out for deception. Watch out for forgetfulness. Don't merely just hear, James says. So church, how would you evaluate yourself in that area? Merely hearing, forgetting, protecting against possible deception. How would you evaluate yourself in that area. Well, what about those who have heard the gospel over and over and over again, but they never truly embrace what it says? Church, Christian in here, friend, balcony, online, how are we doing at the matter of not just hearing the word, but actually doing it? How would you evaluate yourself in that way? You know, is it possible this morning? Is it possible that we doubt God's goodness in that area and that it becomes an excuse not to obey? Is it possible? Like, have we, have we proudly made ourselves the judge of God's word instead of humbly submitting to God's word and letting it judge us? Are we in that place? Do you become angry when you hear certain biblical sub subjects discussed? Do you become angry? Like, how is your attitude, how is your posture towards Scripture impacting the rate at which you're growing? You know, I, I've, I've found, and I, and I don't do this perfectly because I can't. Is there anyone else in here like me that's a perfectionist? Like you, like everything's just got to be this way. And if it's not this way, like you struggle with that. All, all three of us, yes, I'm not alone. <laughs> you know, I, I've found um, 28 years as a believer 
It was not always this way, but I have found in this life that there is great joy in obedience. There's great joy that comes from obeying God. My relationship stays intact. My my peace with God is present. Sitting in God's presence brings pleasure and joy forevermore, according to Psalm chapter 16. I've experienced those things. Anybody else experienced that in their life? That when you obey God, there's something amazing that comes because of it? James tells us that, that being, being a doer is something that we have to prove. It says we have to prove it. Look back with me to verse number 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and he at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Do you know the word doer here in these last couple of verses comes from the Greek word meaning to keep on striving to be. We have to keep on striving to be what Scripture is telling us. Now, we certainly don't mean at any way, shape, or form. I'm certainly not saying do this in your own strength or attempt to do it in your own power. Because we know how that ends, right, church? We know when we do it on our own strength, it fails. It may last for a little bit, but it's going to fail. And we know, we know that we know that we know that if we know Christ... If we have a relationship with Christ and his word has been implanted into our hearts, we've been given a privilege and a responsibility to be doers. A privilege and a responsibility. There's great importance in us looking intently in the mirror. I don't mean just physically. I'm talking about the mirror of God's word. There is great importance at intently looking into the mirror of God's word. Why why was my buddy walking to breakfast with shaving cream on his ear? Because he didn't look intently in the mirror. He didn't look intently. And this morning we, we have to see God's word as something that brings true freedom to us. He talked about in verse 25 the law of liberty The law of liberty. What a fascinating juxtaposition of of words that brings an anticipation of blessedness to us. Look back at verse 25. He says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his position. Church, deep down inside of you, do you believe that? Because James ends on two verses that that speak to practical results. Things things that are going to occur, things that are going to occur following this. Look with me at verse 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before, the God, before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James concluded this chapter by raising topics that he's going to address later in this book. But he says, 
If you receive the word of God, if you're not deceived, if you receive it, if you allow for it to change you, if, if you allow for God to chisel the bad out of you, he gives you practical results that come. When I am changed by the word of God, I display a bridled tongue. When I am changed by the word of God, I become passionate in my heart. When I'm changed by the word of God, I live a holy life, a holy life. So church, are, are you ready to go a little deeper? Are you guys ready to prepare or to allow God to prepare for our next season of ministry? Are you ready to, to say, let's go? Are you ready for change and for growth, not just spiritually, but also numerically? Do you know, and we're going to be sharing with you on Vision Sunday here, here coming up, that God, God has been on the move here in our church and it started because we began to receive his word. It started because we began to, to receive his word. Do you know that in the last seven months of time, our church attendance has increased by nearly 17 people? In seven months of time, by 17 people. Do you know our giving is up? Do you know we're in a better financial place today than what the church has ever been since the day it was planted? Do you guys, you guys understand that? Like that's God, when I said that God has given much to the well, I meant what I said. God has given much to the well. God is doing some amazing things and God has for us a, a, a new season in which we are about to step in. And I believe wholeheartedly that God's going to continue to bless because of our faithfulness. I believe wholeheartedly that God's going to bring more people than just the 17 that he's brought to us thus far. I believe God's going to bring more things for us to do, more ways for us to impact our community. But it starts right here. Church, it starts with us receiving the word of God and then acting out that word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for this truth. We thank you for the challenge from your word. God, we thank you so much uh, for the way that you've guided us, the way that you've provided for us, the way that you've been faithful to us in our, our midst of, of change and, and, and much growth over the last year and a half. And so, God, we just we, we glorify your name, we bless your name, Lord, as, as we know that you are the provider of all these things. You're the one who has sustained us. You've allowed for us to persevere through trial and temptation and circumstance. And so, Lord, we continue to press into you, and we are here as a church saying we want to receive more of your word. So, God, use us as you see fit, and, and I ask and pray these things now in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen and amen, church.